Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program of information on the ever-changing world of accessibility. Now here are the hosts of this program, Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. Hello, I'm Nancy. And I'm Pete. They say that necessity is the mother of invention. This week, we'll be talking with a physicist who was sighted but suddenly went blind and not only developed a solution that enabled him to continue in his profession, but developed a product that benefited lots of folks. We'll speak with John Gardner and his son, Dan Gardner, about how John's experience ultimately led to the development of the ViewPlus graphical Braille embossers, including the Tiger line of embossers. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Dan Gardner. As we try to enable people to be self-sufficient, if you have to have someone describe it for you, then you have to be as smart as the person you're describing it to. And I don't want to be at that position. Being able to interpret what it means for yourself in all seriousness, I mean, if you don't know the content, it's very hard for you to describe what it is to somebody. I mean, for me, electronic circuits, when someone tells me it's a squiggly line, are they talking about an inductor? Are they talking about an antenna? What are they talking about, right? I mean, there's a, there's a different, there's different squiggly lines that mean vastly different things. And this is what your view plus printers are all about and the capabilities that it enables for people interested in these fields. Correct. Yeah, to be able to explore and learn anything that they are interested in, not just what other people can explain to them. Let's start by meeting John and Dan. I am John Gardner. I am the founder and president of ViewPlus Technologies, and I was for approximately 117 years professor of physics at Oregon State University before I retired and uh, went to work uh, full-time for the company. Many of our listeners have visual impairments, and I understand that yours is related to what you just said about being the founder of ViewPlus. Well, I'm blind. I was not blind most of my life, although actually I was blind. I just didn't know it until I was about 48 years old, and I went in for an eye operation. My eye doctor told me that the glaucoma medications, the glaucoma eye drops, were not working very well, and if I didn't have this operation, I would slowly go blind. So I had the operation, and I didn't slowly go blind. Yeah, what did happen? I was blind the next day. You know, you and I have very similar backgrounds in that regard. I was born with congenital glaucoma, although I was able to read and hold a book by holding it just several inches from my nose until I went to graduate school. And the summer before I went to graduate school, they said the same thing to me, that the glaucoma medications weren't working and you need yet another surgery. And when I came out of that operation, I didn't see anything. And I learned to readjust over that summer and do what had to be done to go to graduate school in engineering physics. Well, I must say I would rather go blind later because it's a whole lot easier to get take <laughs> your graduate degree in physics when you can see. So, <laughs> Well, you know, I tell people that in some sense I was kind of fortunate that I dealt with blindness issues from a very young age. So I went to a school for the blind until I was in fifth grade. So I had learned some basic Braille skills 
although I didn't use any of those skills until much later. But it got me used to doing things in a different way, being plugged into those kinds of resources, knowing what was around. And I think it made the transition a lot easier. I think your transition, just suddenly that happening later in life, uh, can be a lot more difficult. Well, uh, obviously, it wasn't an easy thing, but... uh... You know, you only have two choices, right? So <laughs> you, That's right. you do what you can do. Right. Dan, can you introduce yourself? Yes, I'm Dan Gardner. I'm the CEO of Uplus Technologies and the son of the founder. I joined Uplus uh, as CEO about three years ago, but I was the technical consultant on a lot of things early on. And then once it became a business, I was more involved in my own adventures and uh, then just recently came in to help both of my parents kind of figure out how to uh, keep the business going for another generation. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. This week's focus topic is the development of the ViewPlus graphical Braille embossers and other tools from ViewPlus that allow blind scientists to do their work. Anyway, before we talk about View Plus and some of the products that you sell and about your graphical embossing printer, I was wondering, John, if you could talk a little bit about how you made that transition. It sounds like your transition to not seeing happened rather suddenly. What did you have to deal with? How difficult was that for you? At the time, I was, uh, and for many years after that, I was a professor of physics at Oregon State, and all of a sudden, I was blind, and fortunately, one of my wonderful colleagues stepped in and said, look, the class that you're teaching, which was statistical mechanics uh, at a senior level, is something that this man had taught a number of times before. He said, just don't worry about it. I'll just take that class and teach it for you until you are ready to start teaching again. And that was wonderful. But I also um, had a research lab. I had of order a dozen students, postdocs, visiting faculty, et cetera, et cetera, who were working in my lab. And there was nobody else who could supervise them. So I didn't have any choice. I had to continue doing that. Even from my hospital bed, I was on the phone talking to my students and postdocs and fighting with my program manager to get more money, which never works, of course, but (laughs) I just didn't know anything about blindness. It was just so sudden. Uh, I didn't even know where you got a white stick with a red tip or how to tell time or anything. Uh, I gradually found (laughs) my first white stick was a walking stick that was white with a red tip. Wow. That my father-in-law found for me someplace. And he also found a talking clock someplace. Did anybody at the hospital or any of your ophthalmologists talk to you about vision rehabilitation services or any of these services that are available for people who are facing blindness? No. Not one word. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. That's one of our pet peeves is how little advice. All they need to do is tell you, here's the phone number for the local rehabilitation center, and they don't. Yep. How did you find resources to help with your transition then? 
Well, somehow or other, I did find, but it was months later, I found the name of the Oregon Commission for the Blind, and person from the Commission for the Blind immediately showed up in my office and handed me a, a proper white cane and started teaching me how to use it. He taught me Braille. I don't really read Braille. I, I can make it out, but uh, I don't remember how I found out, but but I learned that there was such a thing as a screen reader. I had a DOS computer that was sitting unused at that time on my desk, unused, of course. This was in the late 80s. This was 88, yep. Right. And I learned there was such a thing as a screen reader, and I bought one very quickly. And I was very happy because up until that time, I'd been doing things on tape recorders, and I just had mountains of tapes. And, of course, I couldn't find anything on the tapes. So having a computer so I had random access to information was just absolutely fabulous. That makes a big difference. Uh, that was one of the happier days of my life. Yes. And uh, I learned LaTeX and could write math um, between the university and my research grants. Within about a year, maybe, I hired a full-time assistant who had a bachelor's degree in physics. He was fabulous. He could be my editor. He could uh, help me with preparing homework. I had a teaching assistant who would grade the exams under my supervision so I, because I couldn't see them, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I could do just about everything except one thing. And what was the one thing that you had difficulty doing? The one thing was I couldn't analyze the data from my own lab because it came out as wiggly lines, as points on a graph versus time. It was a radioactive counting technique, which will mean something to Peter, but probably nobody else. <laughs> Actually, we're both physicists. Oh, 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 that's right. You did tell me that. So anyway, you were talking about these graphs. I assumed these were graphs that were made on a pen plotter, and you had a piece of paper with a line on it, and that wasn't amenable to the way you worked. I couldn't read it. And being able to fit those lines with a set of parameters, and there were lots of parameters, you had to really spend a lot of time doing this, doing that, taking more data under different conditions, varying the, the parameters until, until you got real physics. And I couldn't read it. So it sounds like you relatively soon got back into teaching despite the issue with your eyes, but you ran into some of these obstacles with the graphical data. What did you do to address that? Well... Actually, the only thing that I could do to address that particular problem was to enlist friends who I had confidence in, and I would fax them. This was before email, but after fax, I would fax them copies of the data and the fits that the students had made, and they would point out what the problems with the fits were in the students. So the, it was sort of a three-way collaboration between me, my students, or postdocs, and various friends who could help with the fitting. It was not the best way to do physics, but it continued to work for a number of years. And uh, in the meantime, I became more and more frustrated with no access to graphics and no one who had enough imagination to know how to give access to graphics. And by access, what I mean by access is a little bit different from what other people may mean by access. I wanted access not 
by having somebody come in and take a picture and make it accessible, somebody come in and take a math equation and make it accessible, somebody come in. And I wanted to be able to read the literature. I wanted to be able to pick up a journal. Well, fortunately, I could pick it up on my computer and read it. And how did you manage that? I started a research program on access to complex information, which meant math and, and graphics. And lots of other people were working on math, but very few people had enough imagination to even believe that access to graphics would be possible. Somebody was going to have to make that accessible. And I said, no, we have to develop ways that we can have access to mainstream graphics. Well, and you were the perfect guy to have involved in this project because, first of all, you knew what you needed. And second of all, you were able to provide immediate feedback to your team about how well you had achieved your attempt to meet what you needed. I should have had you uh, as a referee on my grant proposals. (laughs) (laughs) Next time. (laughs) Well, anyway, that's the way it started. And we did develop hardware and software and uh, several software technologies. And uh, over time, we did And eventually we found a high-resolution embossing technology. I was very pleased with it. It made quasi-decent Braille and very good tactile graphics. Um, My student, who's actually the person who invented it, came into my office and said, there's something called a Collegiate Invention Award of of the year, and can we apply for it? And I said, of course we can. And the proposals were due the next day, so he quickly wrote it up, sent it in. A month or two later, I was in Austria at a meeting, and I got an email from him saying, hey, we won. Wow. Wow. And what's the student's name? Uh, Peter Langner. He was uh, worked with me uh, on the original company. He was actually one of the original founders as well. Well, anyway, we won the prize. Uh, the prize was wonderful. First prize was an all-expenses-paid trip to accept the prize to Akron, Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I can think of more glamorous locations. Second prize was two visits to Akron, Ohio, right? <laughs> How did you know that? <laughs> yes. Well, we, we did go. We accepted the prize. And we were sitting around at a big table in a bar, and somebody said, what are you going to call your technology? And I said, oh, hadn't thought about it. Let's see, it's tactile graphics, T, uh, Tiger. And Tiger, which we eventually were able to trademark, uh, has become sort of the signature by which our company, people know Tiger better than they do View Plus, which is a little annoying to us, but (laughs) that's the way it works. So that was the beginning of your Tiger graphical embossing printer. Yes. So describe to people what this printer actually did. Well, it was high resolution. It made 20 dots per inch. And 20 dots is actually plenty. You can't even, by putting your finger down on a 20-dot line, 
tell their dots there. You can't tell the difference between a solid tactile line and a dotted line. You can if you move your finger and you put your fingernail down. But just putting your hand, the resolution of your fingers is not good enough to actually tell that there are dots there. So I claim 20 dots per inch is plenty good enough. Mm -hmm. And later times, I've come to realize that 20 dots per inch is not even to tell the truth necessary. We now make uh, another technology as well, which has a resolution depending on how we do it somewhere 14, 16 dots, but not 20 because the dots are bigger. Anyway, 20 DPI was something that I was striving for because it was kind of, I, you know, skip a dot and you've got braille or skip two dots and you've got distance between braille characters because this technology was sort of like a meat cleaver design with grooves intersecting grooves. And to make Braille, we had to be able to get something where the dots were approximately a tenth of an inch apart and 0.15 inches apart between dots and between cells. There are pretty rigid standards for the height, width, and spacing of Braille dots. There are standards. There's hardly a Braille embosser on Earth that meets those standards. But the standards on the Spacing is a little more important because you don't want to read a Braille cell that's half again bigger than something you expect. Our Braille cells were actually not quite standard because the Braille dots are slightly less than a tenth of an inch apart. We tested it in relatively few blind people could tell, sighted people could tell. They look at it and say, oh, that's not good enough. I used to have all sorts of Braille transcribers telling me how awful my Braille was. Meanwhile, the student who was sitting next to was reading it and saying, oh, the graphics are wonderful. The graphics are wonderful. I said, well, tell her how the Braille is. Oh, I love this map here. And I said, tell her how the Braille is. Oh, the Braille's fine. Oh, but I like the graphics. <laughs> <laughs> so how was this new type of Braille printer accepted in the marketplace? It was... We had our battles with the with the Braille transcribers because it didn't look like other Braille. The dots were smaller, of course. They had to be smaller. They were not official height, but then they were as high as Braille dots that you got from our competitors, uh, which seemed to me kind of a strange thing to complain about. Blind people, for the most part, found it just fine, although it they were... A, a little pointier, and we had to work for a while to get the tops rounded enough, but eventually they, they worked just fine. But they never looked quite like Braille, and they could never actually meet the standards for how far apart the Braille dots were supposed to be within a cell because they were a tenth of an inch. That was the way the technology worked. Right. So this was fine for making graphs and plots and even labeling them, but you might not want to print a book with it. Well, people did print books with it, and students read it and never had any complaints, but still, it never really caught on as a way to do Braille. People bought it to do graphics. Mm -hmm. What did you do next? We eventually decided we had to compete by being able to make, quote, proper Braille, which is when we brought out our line that we call Tiger Plus. And Tiger Plus... Embossers make really good graphics, but they're not Tiger graphics. And what's the distinction between Tiger and Tiger Plus? Well, the Tiger Plus, first of all, is not on a grid. We can put dots anywhere. We can put dots with a resolution of a three hundredth of an inch. 
And second of all, the dots are more like what people expect from our various competitors, Braille, to look like. So it's a Braille embosser that does graphics as opposed to a graphics embosser that does Braille. That's about as well as I can see it. Do they rely on different underlying technologies? Yes, yes. The Tiger technology has this grooved platen. It was a one-sided braille. We eventually did bring out a couple of uh, production embossers that have two platens, so it could print two-sided braille. The Tiger Plus is more like a conventional braille punch. We also have a technology that is another single-sided one that punches into a polymer. It's our least expensive embosser. It's not fast. We built it to be inexpensive, and it is inexpensive, and it's a quite a good embosser. It's just not fast. And what is that called? That is our Embraille. Interesting. It's under $2,000 and occasionally goes on sale, uh, especially from some of our, our distributors for quite a bit less than that. So, so are those the main products that ViewPlus sells these days? In addition to the embossers, we also sell a good bit of software. We support our embossers very well, which is something our competitors don't. We have a GUI printer driver. For years, we printed Windows. So if you wanted to print a graphic from Windows, you just printed it. You know, you didn't have to do anything special. You just punched the button and printed the damn thing. Uh, you still do that, but now you can do it on a Macintosh and Linux as well. Perfect. So, Dan, you want to give us an overview of your product line these days and how you support the various printers? Yeah, sure. Like John was saying, the new lineup is our Columbia and our Delta, which is a tractor feed and a cut sheet braille printers that also do graphics. So, I mean, the, the thing for us, the way we define graphics is being able to print things that aren't just in the braille cell spacing and also all of our printers you know, even the, as you're saying, even the, the low cost printers all do variable dot height printing to allow some color separation as well. Oh, interesting. So I think that's, you know, the, the key pieces that we have is our graphics are not just sort of like DOS ASCII, you know, art, <laughs> but actually being able to print lines and, and diagonals and, and other things like that. Right. And with the different dot heights, I assume you can do texture variations in some sense. Correct. By default, the printer driver will rasterize the image and will then make the, by the density of the color. So blacks are all the way high, whites are nothing, and then, you know, steps in between. There's seven different steps. Oh, nice. So it works really well for just printing out of Excel, a chart, bar chart, or pie chart or something, and getting enough differentiation to be able to tell what the different shapes are directly. So I, I really break down our product line is, is really into three pieces. The Braille lineup, which is our newer models, our, our specialty graphics ones that uh, you know are the ones that founded View Plus, and really a big part of that specialty graphic one is the, is the ability to print ink as well, so that we have a, both a color option and a black option to allow you to have dual-use documents for text and graphics in ink as well as, as in the tactile domain. So that's useful for sighted people who have to refer to that and maybe even low-vision people. Yeah, I mean, it, again, it depends on the use, right? Is There's definitely teachers that are not having, they aren't the strongest Braille readers or parents that could then 
pretend to read Braille. I do it very well now. Uh, if I have the text above it, I can pretend that I can read the Braille. But I mean, also I see it depending on the organization. If they really want to be inclusive or the information is in some way monitored by compliance, then having the ink on there could be a necessity. But I see it as a nice to have in a lot of cases where you want to be inclusive so that everybody, so everybody can use it. You don't have to print special versions for everybody, but just here, just print it out and everybody can use the same ones. But also I see it from the financial services as well as Department of Defense where they want to know what they're printing in Braille is not classified, so they want the matching ink above it. And so that also, so can, you know, depending on the environment, it may be a requirement. Right. Interesting. And are there other products in your lineup that you'd like to tell us about? Our latest things that we've been showing is our Tiger Box, which allows you to print over a Wi-Fi network from your phone or your tablet or your computer or whatever, whatever device it is and just send the stuff over to the printer. And it actually, if it's text file, it'll strip the text out and do a Braille conversion if you tell it to. And so it'll do, you know, text to Braille on the fly from, you know, any of your mobile devices or, or any Wi-Fi enabled device. Oh, that's great. Wow. Well, those products certainly sound useful for anybody who needs access to graphical information. And it's really kind of cool that you developed something to solve a problem you had and it actually benefited lots of people and still does benefit lots of people around the world. Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about Few Plus and their products and how to contact John or Dan Gardner or their team. So if people would like to find out more about ViewPlus or some of the products you described, where would you send them? ViewPlus.com. I mean, everything is up there. We have tutorials and, and overviews. They're all linked. I mean, you can go directly to YouTube, but I mean, all those tutorials are linked through the web page. So you can see our Braille translation software, our audio tactile software, as well as all of our uh, embossers are all highlighted on the web page. And what's your phone number for people who prefer that? The direct number is 541-754-4002. The toll-free number is 866-836-2184. And they can also just email sales at viewplus.com and get one of us. And do you have a social media presence? Yes, we are on Facebook as well as uh, LinkedIn and Twitter. And just search for View Plus? Yes. Yeah, View Plus Technologies will tend to be the only one that shows up. If you Google View Plus Technologies. And, of course, you can find all that contact information and links in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you want to find out more about the development of the View Plus printer, there's also a link in the show notes to an audio overview of how that technology was developed. So check out the show notes. That's it for show number 1909. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about how you can learn to write computer programs with 
Code Jumper. Have you ever wanted to become a computer programmer but didn't know where to start? Well, Code Jumper from the American Printing House for the Blind may be just what you're looking for. We'll speak with Dave Wilkinson, Director of Sales and Customer Service at APH, about Code Jumper and how you can learn from it. If you have any questions regarding something you've heard about on the show or you'd like to share an idea for a future show, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net or call us at 585-210-8094. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. Browse the full archive of programs, find instructions for subscribing to the podcasts, and much more at www.eyesonsuccess.net. You can also find us on iTunes and follow us on Facebook at Eyes on Success or Twitter at underscore Eyes on Success. We hope you will join us again next week for more information and updates on products for accessible living. Thanks for listening to Eyes on Success and have a nice day.